Before I read the text, before I read the scripture for the sermon, I want to read another scripture, and I want you to think of it as an elaborate frame, a beautiful, carved, elaborate frame in which we will put the picture of this sermon inside. It comes from the book of Revelation. You know where that is. It's the very end. If you get to the end, you're there. Here it is, the book of Revelation, in the very beginning, there's always a greeting. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's a pretty powerful beginning. But he goes on and he says, look, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. Prayer number two. He goes on, though. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. That's a powerful bit of recognition of the Jesus who's at the, uh, at the conclusion of his ministry with crucifixion and resurrection that he would now present himself as the king. And on this day, we recognize Christ the king. I want to read another scripture. Now the the real sermon text from John chapter 18. Pilate then went inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your idea? Your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate said? Your own people and chief priest handed you over to me. What is it that you've done? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king said Pilate. And Jesus replied, you say so. You say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason that I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth, and everyone on the side of truth listens to me. If we were watching the show Night Court, this would be a scene from Night Court, because Jesus is hauled into court, and we get this transcript. The transcript of this conversation is saved for us in the Scriptures. It's one of the most intriguing conversations in the whole Bible, I would say the New Testament, but the Bible as well, because it is about truth speaking to power. We hear that phrase a lot in the literature of justice in the Christian church today, truth speaking to power, and it's also power subsequently quizzing truth on the nature and the authority of truth's claims. It's quite a, quite a conversation. The one who is and was and who is to come is John's answer to the harsh realities of his time. 
It was his answer to the lesser claims of kings and mortals. John's vision was a word of hope about everything in our time, set against the reign of God, everything that's tilted in the wrong direction. John is pointing to and saying, this is the way that things really are. Jesus traveled throughout the countryside, through every city and village, preaching and demonstrating the liberating good news of the kingdom of God. It's what he preached about. Everywhere he went, he talked about the kingdom of God. Everywhere that he went, this is, this is his curriculum. This is his way of speaking to the way things are. There are many of these sayings in the, in the Gospels, but here's one from Luke chapter 17. The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is, or there it goes, because the kingdom of God is within you. That's as mysterious then as it is now. And for all of us to understand what the kingdom of God is about, we must understand the internal nature of what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is God's reign. Not over a country, not over a single group of people, but over the whole of human history. Imagine the canopy of God's reign in the world being over everything. It's not about a particular race or ethnicity. It's not about a geographical place or country. There's no clearer idea of what the kingdom of God, uh, the kingdom of Christ is, than in John's powerful images of vindication and triumph. John sees beyond what we normally see. Um, John is able to look over the horizon of time and with the imagination of the Spirit to see these things. In this passage, which is essentially, as I noted, a prayer, a couple of prayers, John envisions the power of a Jesus who is coming with the clouds. I don't know what that means to you, but it's mesmerizing. I live on a house in Lawrence, Kansas, and I'm on the far side of Lawrence, almost looking, I can almost see Topeka from my house, it's that, and it's elevated, and we have this vast canopy of the sky that we can see to the north. I'm a little dreading the coming of the blizzard weather, don't you know, when that deck will not be very useful. To imagine that Jesus is coming with the clouds, the prayer is both tender and terrifying. Jesus stands at the beginning and the end of all time and in all times in between. God's realm does not settle on boundaries that we make. There are no boundaries out there in the world that are recognizable in this vision of all of creation. This is not about a particular version of the Christian faith we might endorse. It's not about my view of things or yours and the limitations that come with mine and yours. It's bigger than that. The reign of God is not about a sentimental vagueness that requires nothing of us other than we try to be nice. can't tell you how many times teachers and Sunday school teachers and the like tried to teach me to be nice. Maybe you're like that too. God's realm is not a national or a political entity. It's not a party. It is a community in God's care that lives in radical love 
joy, peace, truth, and righteousness. The challenge of the church is to live into that, to recognize that our ministry, our realm of being in this community and in this region and in this world is bigger than most of those other ideas. On this day, Christ the King Sunday, this is the culmination of a whole year that starts over again next week with Advent. This is the last Sunday of the year called Christ the King Sunday. And we think about the Christian year of our, of our faith, of creation, of history, of the God who is with us all in all, and of the Christ who will rule over all. This is a big picture day, we would say. We think of the coming end of time, the mystery of that. And we submit to Christ as our sovereign, believing with Paul on that day, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. That's a day in which we hold to, we cling to those ideas and recognize the truthfulness of them. On this Sunday, this is the imaginative invitation for us we can envision what it would be like to be worshipers in a massive throng, a throne room with trumpeters in the balconies. I love this. With the little banners hanging off. And they are just, they're blowing their horns as loud as they can in majesty. Everything gets pointed upward. Can you imagine all of that? Attendance and festive costumes lining the walls around the perimeter and a royal entourage surrounds a high and lifted up throne. Stretch your imagination one bit further and put this vision in our own sanctuary with an elegant throne for this occasion. In our worship, we invite all God's children to worship the Lord Jesus Christ enthroned where he is destined to sit. John's vision helps us imagine him surrounded by the apostles robed in white for extra effect. Hollywood should get hold of this, right? This is a grand vision of the way things are. In our imagination, we see this as a day when mere mortals have an audience with the Lord of life. What would you say to this Lord seated on the throne? What would you think about saying? Or better yet, what do you think the Lord of the universe would say to you? In the days before the exile, the ancient Jews symbolized, uh, gathered once a year in the temple to crown Yahweh as God, to symbolize God's rule over all the people. This model of the Christ as King, Christ the King Sunday, it's modeled after something in Jewish faith. Smoke from the incense ascended to the highest reaches of the great vaulted ceiling, and worship was directed vertically, accompanied by the smell of burning sacrifices and music, always music, echoing in the rafters. All of this was meant to symbolize the deepest intentions of the prayerful faithful who were gathered there solely for this purpose. Perhaps this heightened sense of God's presence is best found, though, outside the sanctuary, where Jesus is king, not in places of power, but in all the places where people try to serve him. 
Throughout the New Testament, what we observe is the flipped over reign. The reign of God in all the places in the world turned upside down. I love what Robert Capon, the New Testament scholar, would describe as the little, the least, the last, the lonely, and recognizing these are the ones of whom Christ came to speak to most honestly and directly. Perhaps the heightened sense of this kind of worship is something we should taste every now and then. Jesus is king not only where people seek advantage, but where people seek to be helpful. The the blankets today, the quilting, is a taste of that, of the symbolizing of what it means for us to minister to those that are in the world. Remember Jesus, he spoke about the cool cup of water. Maybe a warm blanket is really a, a, a good reading of that text of being shivering cold and someone offers you the comfort of a blanket and it's wrapped up in the symbolism of the love of God. The king of of the reign of Christ is not where people seek security but in a working and breathing community. We struggle with this idea that we serve another kingdom if we're to be followers, faithful followers of Jesus. When Jesus insisted his kingdom was, quote, not of this world, he didn't mean it was merely, merely spiritual or relegated to a future age over the horizon of time, or even that he was speaking of heaven where all things are eventually made right. Many, many of us grew up on this vision of what the reign of Christ would be like. The kingdom of God is not really around here. It's not so accessible was suggested to us, it'll happen over the near horizon of time, or it happens spiritually within us. Some of that is right, and some of it needs to be challenged. He was speaking of a reign that runs counter to most of what we experience in life, no matter what your politics are like. This transcends the politics that in our country today is dividing us. Jesus was talking about this push-pull we feel whenever we attempt to make Christ king in our hearts and lives. There should be a feeling of tension that comes with that. If you have that, know that you're at least feeling and acting in the right places. The struggle is real. Daniel Clendenin says this, in its simplified terms, the kingdom of God that Jesus announced and embodied is what life would be like here and now if God were king and the rulers of this world were not. Every aspect of personal and communal life would experience a radical reversal. The political, economic, and social subversions would be almost endless. Peacemaking instead of warmongering. Liberation, not exploitation. Mercy, not vengeance. Care for the vulnerable instead of privileges for the powerful. Generosity instead of greed. Embrace rather than exclusion. And on and on and on it goes. As the light of this vision of the world is is shining most directly upon our lives and the way things are in the world, 
This is the way that we understand things. And maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking all this is a pie in the sky way of believing, not grounded in reality. I'm open for that suggestion. And maybe there's some truth to it in a limited way. If we take up this way of believing, things will have to change. That's my out. It's not just pie in the sky. Things will have to change for this to happen. We might have to give up some important piece of our lives in ways that we simply can't or won't do. It's too much for many believers who continue to live in the world that Christ came to change. We're invested in the world more than we're invested in the kingdom. I hear you because the only way I can name your weakness is to identify mine. This is where the preacher starts with the preacher, and you get to overhear my my own conversation. If I changed and you changed, it would make a difference. If you and I changed and we convinced others to change, what could happen? It would be nothing short of the kind of revolution that Jesus came to start. Call it a conspiracy if you, if you must, but whatever you do, don't discount the idea because of cynicism or sarcasm or even an admitted weak faith. Whatever you do, don't water down this notion as undoable. We should push ourselves to the brink to think just how doable it really is. Give God's kingdom a chance to flourish in your corner of the world. That's what it means. The power of Christ the King Sunday is the power to imagine a different world. This is what the narrative psychologists call of the imagination of hope, of recognizing that hope is actually embedded in every story, no matter how pitiful the story might be, that there's always the seeds of hope that can be planted if one is open to that. Maybe then the subversive power prayer of Jesus can be prayed by all of us. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Ah, that makes sense now. And the trigger to that is not so much about God waiting to be invoked or, you know, pulled forward. The, the power of that is in the radical nature of change that we must face. Maybe, just maybe, that's why Jesus stood before the government's man and let him talk till he found the justification he needed to fend off the political accusation of the weakness of the Jews used to make him do what they wanted. Everyone in the room understood what was happening. Pilate was being toyed with. Pilate was being pressured. It was his job to stand before Jesus and to push and to poke and to provoke. Jesus knew it. Pilate knew it. Certainly the leaders of the Jews knew it. You see, this is good news. If Jesus is king, not just once a year and on a throne, but throughout all time and in every place, then we don't have to be king or even have to seek another king. We no longer have to judge one another. We don't have to control what other people think or feel or force them to feel to fit our expectations. When that happens, the kingdom of God is here and now in our hearts, here among us, 
And out there, wherever Christ's kingdom is shared, wherever we share the reign of Christ in the world. One of the things that we do in worship is that we're here together and the opportunity to figure out some things is there with us. And somehow in the mystery of the Spirit being with us, there's the, the possibility that God has been speaking with you about this or that. I have no idea what. If you would like to talk with someone, I'll be available. I call it halftime between the two services. Jumbotron, halftime, you sort of know where my world is. I call it halftime. If you would like to sit and chat and have a cup of coffee and talk about something that you're dealing with, uh, I'd be happy to do that or throughout the week as well. What will you do next is the question. And how will you, how will we, Make Jesus the king in our hearts and in our church and in this city, Jefferson City. Amen.